Before we get into the episode today, I just have to say a huge thank you. I would be remiss if I didn't take a chance to say that PLS, the Practice Leader Summit, is happening in just a few short days when you're listening to this podcast episode. And that means we are all getting together in Greenville, South Carolina to celebrate the unique and wonderful position that is being a leader in veterinary medicine. We're getting together with some of the best and brightest practice owners, practice managers, and we are talking about the real challenges that face us when we run our practices day to day. And I am super, super excited. And this is a very different event. It is small, it is boutique, it is designed so that everybody who comes gets to meet every single other attendee that is there. We get to talk about the nitty gritty in real time about our the challenges that we're facing as, as practices, the wins that we have with our teams and really set a plan for the new year so that we can walk into 2024 set up for success. And we couldn't do it without our industry partners. And we have some amazing ones this year. And I just want to take a second to say thank you from the bottom of our uncharted hearts to our Anchor Club sponsors. We have different level partners and we've got a lot of amazing ones, but these, this group, these guys are fantastic. They stepped up in a big way and helped make us successful in terms of throwing the Uncharted events for you and your team. And I just want to say thanks. So to Nationwide Pet Insurance, Hills Pet Nutrition, and Total Practice Solutions Group, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being Anchor Club sponsors. Thank you for letting us go out on a limb, try some new and crazy things like our Practice Leader Summit, and for coming to Greenville and having a good time with us. Okay, now we can start the podcast. Hey, everybody, I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. And this week on the podcast, I am joined by a very special guest host, my friend, Debbie Boone. For those of you who have not uh, met Debbie or heard her previously on the podcast, Debbie is a CVPM. She's Fear Free certified. She has been around in veterinary medicine for over 35 years. She's one of those voices um, that I think about when the conversation turns to team communication and creating positive culture. And um, she does some consulting now and amongst other things. And uh, she's written a book. And when Debbie's book launched, I was super excited about the idea of having her on the podcast because her book her book is about hospitality in healthcare. Um, in fact, that is actually the title of the book. And um, I am particularly interested in having a conversation about the idea of hospitality in veterinary medicine. For those of you who know me, I started at the front desk and I'm super, super passionate about the client relationship and the care that we give our clients in addition to our patients. And so um, I thought this would be a great opportunity to have Debbie on the podcast again and nerd out about um, the art of hospitality in veterinary medicine. So let's get into this. And now the Uncharted Podcast. And we're back. It's me, Stephanie Goss, and I am here with a special guest today. Uh, I am back by popular demand with my good friend and colleague, Debbie Boone. Uh, we did a podcast together previously talking about customer service, and uh, Debbie has just released a new book. And when it was getting ready to come out, I said, we have to do a podcast 
and talk about the book. And so I'm taking advantage of the fact that when I am recording this, uh, Andy is on vacation. And so Debbie and I are having a conversation and uh, she is sitting in the Andy Rourke chair so that we can <laughs> we can talk about customer service and veterinary medicine and hospitality. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Debbie. Thank I'm so glad you. to see your Thanks. face. It's good to be back. And I'm so looking forward to, we were laughingly calling it our meanderings because this is what we do. <laughs> we both are so adamant about taking care of people in the veterinary world that, um, we go off on tangents, but hopefully you guys enjoy some of our tangents. <laughs> I have a feeling I'm going to try and keep us on the rails, but okay. I have a feeling <laughs> we'll try. I have a feeling this will be one of those one of those conversations. So I want to start real real big because you just had the book come out, and I want to talk about the book. So uh, tell us tell us what uh, the book is called and where we can where we can find it. Sure, sure. Let's start there. The name of the book is called Hospitality and Healthcare, How Top Performing Practices Boost Team Happiness and Give the Best in Care to Their Patients. So the idea behind the book is that when we learn good hospitality skills, great communication skills, we not only make the lives of our clients better, but we make our Mm -hmm. own lives better because clients Mm -hmm. are not upset with us. And so we, we have a better work environment. And then hospitality skills can be used internally too they're not always Mm -hmm. facing the customer so when we understand each other better we develop good listening skills we learn to observe people's body language and know their personality styles we actually can develop a much better culture and enjoy our work more so as long as i have known you you have had this focus on kind of the white glove, Ritz-Carlton kind of customer service experience. And that has been both in your practice as a, as a manager and then as a, as a consultant working with practices, like that has been a passion and a focus for you. Um, my first question about the book was I started, I started reading and I started, uh, I hear it in your voice when I'm reading it. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like a, it feels like a conversation with a friend. I, I love yeah. the feel of, of it. Um, but what I noticed was that you went really broad with the book in the sense that it wasn't, you weren't just talking about veterinary medicine. You yeah. were talking about your, you chose intentionally to talk about healthcare in general. And I think that there is a lot of, uh, of lessons as consumers and as people who, who, um, partake in healthcare on a human level, right? I think that there's a lot of applicable lessons there, but for you, why, when you sat down and said, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to tell the story, you have so much that ties to veterinary medicine in your experiences there. Why did you choose to go broad with the topic? Well, truthfully, it was my own experience as a consumer of human health. And Mm -hmm. I think everybody who knows me, first of all, you asked me a question I didn't answer, which is it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble and all the routine places. And we'll put, we'll put links in the, in the show notes. Everybody can find it easy. Yes. But if you, if you think about as a patient, we go through some uh, experiences ourselves with our care providers, and those experiences are negative. We don't get our doctors paying attention to us. They're not listening to us. The staff is not trained on good customer service, so we don't feel welcomed into the practices. We just are run through a machine, and I feel like in order to get good health care, and my mother is almost 90, so I've been doing a lot of caregiving and helping her with her stuff. 
Um, a lot of this is just done for efficiency, but not done for great patient care. And in veterinary medicine, my great fear is that with so many corporates and, and many of them not to bash investment bankers, thank you for putting money into our profession, but the, the problem is that they don't see it the way we see it. And, and we should be looking at it as caregivers who are connected with the client or as a human connected with the patient. So we're actually getting a whole picture of the person that we're trying to care for. Um, we don't listen very well. And that's a problem because we miss things. We miss important things. And our clients and our patients feel disrespected. And so when they that disrespect kicks in, then they become antagonistic. And then our work life suffers because now we're battling people instead of collaborating with them. And so the whole idea behind the book is let me teach you skills on both sides of that exam table to be able to better work with humans and understand where their needs are and why they're doing the things they're doing and why their reactions are what they are. And then maybe we can better serve them and they will more be more supportive of us. And so it's a win on both sides. And I know this because I lived it. Right. Okay. So, so much good stuff there to unpack. So let's, let's start with uh, the human healthcare side, because I think mm -hmm. there's some really good parallels here to veterinary medicine. And I, in, in reading at first, I was like, Debbie, in my head, I was like, Debbie has so many experiences that relate to veterinary medicine. And you, in my head, I was like, why doesn't like, she should go hard in the paint on like our, on our stuff, because there's so much that you have experience wise that contributes to that. And then I was reading the story about your own healthcare journey, um, and navigating both good and bad care and knowing what it feels like to have exceptionally negative, uh, care that leaves you not really feeling like a human, but feeling like a statistic in their practice, right? Um, and thought about the parallels to that, thought about my own experiences, but also thought about the parallels to that to veterinary medicine. And I think in that moment, the first light bulb went off for me um, in reading it, which was doctors go to med school to treat patients at the same way that veterinarians go to, to school to learn how to treat patients. And no one, and especially in human healthcare, the model is not also learn how to run a business because they are so, you know, almost solely set up now. Um, it's not like, you know, even 30 or 40 years ago where you go to med school and then you open your own practice and you're, you're like a veterinarian and that you're learning how to run the business. Right. And so uh, to your point about corporates, I think we are in that I don't know that it's just corporate, but I, I do think that in veterinary medicine anyways, there are definitely people involved in running the business side of things who fall on one end of the spectrum, the extreme ends of the spectrum, where if you focus on business to the exclusion of all else, to your point, you forget about the humans involved and you forget about the animals involved and you're just focusing on the, the numbers and the patients. And on the other end of that spectrum, our practices, both in veterinary medicine and in human healthcare, where you're focusing solely on the patients and not practicing good business practices. And so you're right. not successful. And so like a lot of things that Andy and I talk about on the podcast, I think it's really about finding that balance. And I think that there's yes. this narrative, both in human healthcare and in veterinary medicine, 
um, that comes up that it is about the structure and the system and the man and corporate and, you know, as, uh, in human healthcare, the same conversation happens because now mm-hmm. all of these hospitals are set up to, to be run by, by corporations. So um, I, but I don't know that that when you, when you step back and this was the sense that I got in uh, when I was reading through about your own experiences, it's not really about that. It's about, to your point, it's about looking at our clients whether we are a client in a medical practice uh, as a human or we are a four-legged uh, you know, patient in a practice that has a client in our building and we are taking care of them in veterinary medicine, it's about treating each other like humans and not forgetting, even as we run the business, even as we are efficient, even as we are effective, not forgetting that it's about the human connection and the human experience and how do we put that front and center and focus on not not to the exclusion of not having good business practices, not to the exclusion of all else, but when we put that front and center and practice good medicine and take care of the people within our teams, our our clients, that the, the money follows, right? And so it, it and that's, that's a message yeah. that I have always heard you had. And so I, I love that you, yes. um, I ultimately in the beginning, although I was questioning it, as I read through your own personal story, um, and I don't want to share it because I want people to read it because it's wonderful in, in reading it, <laughs> reading through it in the book. And, and I was yeah. sitting there with you in, in some of the uh, situations that you were experiencing. And I could correlate that to my own medical experiences. And even if I couldn't, I think anybody who reads it would have empathy for you as a human being, as a patient, feeling like you are in a cold, sterile room, and you are just another number in a in a in a practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hate when we have those experiences where our clients feel that way. And so I I love that you chose to to go wide and and look at it from that perspective. Well, I felt like no matter what position you held in the animal hospital, if you had almost everybody's mm-hmm. been a patient at some point True. in time, and so we tend to lose sight of the fact that when we're the medical provider, that at one point in time, we were sitting on the other side of the sure. exam table and tend to remember how it felt when you were unsure and when people were talking over your head or when people were basically had their your life in their hands and they acted like it was nothing more than a clinical problem. Uh-huh. To Just another day. Just another day for them. Right. But it's never, I'd make a mention of the the woman who was my radiologist when I was getting my uh, ultrasound for to diagnose me with cancer. And she was worried about her in-laws visiting. And I said, she was not the most stressed person in the room. I was waiting for a cancer diagnosis and she was ignoring me completely and thinking about herself and, and talking about herself, you know, to her coworker. So I feel like we need to pay attention to people. And that's really the premise of the book. Now, the other thing that I think people will know, oh, this takes too much time. You know, we don't have time. We're running and riffing and racing. It doesn't take long. It just takes seconds. And it just takes awareness and concentration um, to not forget that there are people involved, whether it's the pet owner or whether it's the human being in front of you. These are people's lives yeah. and they're, the pet is important to them or they wouldn't be in right. your door, right? They're, it, this is something that right. matters to them. And we all know, especially with millennial and Gen Z generation, these are sort of good children sure, for yeah. a lot of people. And so if we 
I, I used to teach my doctors, and this is, you know, years back, you are furry children pediatricians. <laughs> and I think I was, you know, I, I was having a premonition of what it yeah. would become. But that's the way I felt like we should treat people. And, and it worked. Certainly it worked. Um, I always laugh and say my practice center retired with three homes. It worked pretty well, right? You listen. So we can, we can do so much better. And the other part of this is by listening better, we actually speed ourselves up mm-hmm. because we sure. don't miss things. You know, if, we're, if we are intently listening and the exercise I've always given to students when I'm teaching is if you're trying to, to teach somebody how to actively listen, think about playing Simon Says. And when you were a child and you were playing Simon Says and somebody says, Simon Says, sit up, Simon Says, sit down, stand up. And you go, mm-hmm. I messed mm-hmm. up because I didn't listen. So we we're, we have that intensity about it. But when we do and we listen without distraction, we don't miss right. things that matter. Right. Like, oh, I was supposed to give this dog a bath before it went home. Or, oh, he needed a rabies vaccine that I, the owner okayed it and I forgot to write it down. So those are the little things that slow right. us down is missing those types of uh, requests by clients or missing subtle things that they may have said that all of a sudden will make your light bulb go off for the diagnosis with, oh my gosh, you know, you didn't tell me he swam in a lake right. full of green algae. Now, now it makes sense. You know, yeah. Now it comes back. So we, we need to do better job listing a better job asking those open-ended questions, which we're all taught to do when we are looking at conversation or diagnosis or talking to our fellow co-worker. Um, I know you and I, we've talked about being curious when it comes to co-workers. And we talk a little bit about being curious in this book because curiosity yes. solves so many problems rather yes. than accusations. And so we, you know, we have a client come in and this dog is emaciated or it's been limping and we're we instantly make this judgment. So there's a whole chapter about judgment. So we instantly make this judgment. This is a bad pet owner. When what we may not understand is this dog may have gone missing in a thunderstorm. It's been out roaming for two weeks. They finally got it back after putting up 500 posters and it's coming into your door. And yeah, it's emaciated and it looks terrible, but right. let's ask the situation first yeah. rather than judging. And I think we do that with people too. You know, our, our staff is like, well, she's always late for work or, you know, and then we start going, well, why is she late for work? What's going on in your life that is causing you to have these challenges? Um, and what can we do to help you overcome those things rather than, you know, the accusation that automatically puts people into defense mode? It never helps. And no. So there's two two things that that I think you hit spot on there. So the, f- the first one was you were talking about when you were talking about, um, you know, human healthcare and your, your experience uh, with the the radiologist, the radiologist tech that I think that we we forget uh, that. And I think they do this in human healthcare too. To, to your point and the story, and you you illustrate this really well um, with your words in the book. Like it it was the may have been the nineteenth patient that that person saw in the day, and they were doing their job really well and getting you in and out and not making it physically trying not to make it physically uncomfortable. And and that's only a piece of it. But you you talked about addressing the um, the emotional piece of it because for you, it was your mm-hmm. first time experiencing 
the anxiety and the overwhelm and the, the fighting the panic within yourself of, am I going to hear a life-changing diagnosis today or not, right? And it's the same for our clients. Exactly. Even even on a very small yes. level, you know, we, we, I think in veterinary medicine, we are really good at empathizing. And so when we do the big things, giving someone a cancer diagnosis, um, talking to them about the fact that their pet, you know, needs a, needs to have a limb amputated. You know, maybe it's time to consider quality of life and you have the quality of life and euthanasia conversation. We do those really, really well. Where I think a lot of us struggle within our practices, and I know I uh, this ebbs and flows, and I remember times where vividly struggling with this with my team, is remembering in the day-to-day mundane to, 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 to your point, to not judge and remember that it's, it might be that client's first time. So we think about a puppy visit that comes in the door and they have 20 million questions for us. And we're like, come on, we've got to stay on time. We've got to get in and out of this appointment to us. It's another process in, and it might be our 19th time that day giving the, you know, the puppy or kitten conversation during puppy or kitten season, <laughs> right? Like, exactly. But yeah. for that client, yeah it might be their very first time having a puppy. They may not have done this before. Yeah. And so um, I always think in the conversation that I always tried to have with my team uh, came from, and I think you, you'll, you'll recognize this, but it came from my own, ex, my own experience uh, with being a Disney fanatic. Um, but <laughs> also um, I had a, I had a dream um, once, once upon a time, my life dream um was to be a Disney cast member, uh, believe it or not, at one point in my life, um, I wanted to be the dancing Mickey in Fantasmic. And I hate Southern California, but I grew up in California. And um, I was like, I'm going to move to LA. I want to be the dancing Mickey. And that was, I was a mascot all through university and, and high school. And so I was going for it. I wanted to be a professional mascot. Like that was the thing that I wanted to do. Um, and ultimately I was too too short, uh, but went through, went through the process and went through interviewing and going through through Disney casting uh, process. And one of the things um, that Disney does really, really well is the client experience, inarguably. Um, You can think what you want about Disney and about politics and all of the things that people tend to talk about when we talk about Disney these days. And the client experience has always been number one for them. And part of the training that every single cast member receives, whether you are in costume, whether you work in the studio offices, or whether you are sweeping and picking up garbage in the park, is how to put the client and the customer first. And so um, I'll never forget uh, reading the story about um, the people in who cast members who are working in the park getting training specifically to answer the question, what time is the three o'clock parade? And when you hear that question, you're like, that's a really stupid thing to train people on. The answer is in the question. It's at three o'clock. That's not the point. The point is when someone in the park asked you what time is the three o'clock parade, the answer is three, three o'clock. That's what time the parade starts. And that's the point is that their question isn't about where does it start at three o'clock? Their question might be, where does it end? Where can I get the best view? Where, what time will it reach me if I'm standing halfway through the park when you're asking this question, right? And so cast members are taught to, to your point, to ask more questions and dig below the surface and find out what is it that yes. they're actually trying to answer. And I think that that is, there is, I have always tried to take that lesson in active listening and in not judging and in being calm and 
and really, I think um, in some ways, I put it at the top of the list, trying to treat every client like it might be their first time. And so even though I've already given the puppy spiel eight times today and we're running behind and I want to get out of the exam room, <laughs> I I need to try and put my best foot forward and listen to what they're actually asking and treat it like it could be their first time having a puppy. And the reality is we're not going to succeed all of the time. There are going to be days where we're where we're busy and where we're rushing yeah. and to to the point that I think you illustrated so well with your own story in the book, you, it, you'll never know when we, you may know, but you may not know when you screw that up for someone else. And whether you make their first time or the most important day of their life so far, or that big news moment, when you mess that up for them and the ripple effects that it then has on them and their, their experiences and other people who interact with them. And so I, I love that. And I love, uh, the, the focus on not, not judging because it's really, it's really easy to do. Like I can think of times where I'm like, really, that's the question that like, we have 10 minutes left in this exam room. That's the question you're asking me right now. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, you know, it's, it's human nature to judge and it makes us feel better. I gave the talk at ABMA about um, some brain science stuff and, and human nature mm-hmm. says we judge up or we judge down. Right. So am I, or are you better, better than, than me? You? And so, yes. So then yeah. I'm judging and going, yeah, I'm, I'm a little better. And then are you better than me? Sure. And that's where imposter syndrome comes in because sure. we're judging other people as better than we are. But the truth of the matter is we just really need to have a, a moment to self-talk. And like you said, you, you learn the skill of talking to yourself. And this comes into the self-awareness part of it. So I talked about self-awareness. Um, I went to the Veterinary Innovation Summit last year and I listened to uh, Dr. Tasha Urich and she was giving a talk on self-awareness. And the light bulb started to go off. Went, this is just wonderful because we are not self-aware. And I love the illustration that she gave, which she asked everybody, how many of you think that people cannot drive these days? Everybody. (laughs) Everybody raises their hands. Yeah. (laughs) Raises their hands. And she said, okay, if everybody can't drive and all of you raised your hand, then somebody in this room can't drive and it's going to have to be one of you. Yes. And so we don't have self-awareness that we're a bad driver. And that's just part of it. So if we, if we learn self-awareness, then even when we're talking about uh, discrimination, biases, stereotypes, and I have a whole chapter in the book about this, is that we learn to catch our brain in its mid-shortcut, sure. which is all, all this is what this is, and we go, stop. You know, this is not sensible. It is not smart thinking. It is a, a reactive thinking where my brain intentionally tries to conserve energy because this is one of the things that's kind of my geek out topic is neuroscience. And when I started studying the brain and what it does, and there's shelves of books behind me with all kinds of ridiculous information for some people. But anyway, if we start to think about that and our brain intentionally tries to conserve energy and it does this by quickly making decisions and judging, otherwise we would be exhausted if we had to decide everything in our environment instantaneously we we would be exhausted we, we wouldn't so the slide i used was okay we put some pe- people up and they're in uniform there's a police officer and there's a nurse and there's a firefighter and and we're a doctor and we go oh we know who these people are we judge them well and then i switched the slide and i said unless they're the village people right <laughs> so <then they> <laughs> <laughs> 
you can't do that, right? You can't even assume that right. people in lab coats right. could work in a meat market. I mean, <laughs> right? So, so it's it's training your brain and training yourself to stop in mid grouping, sorting, which is our nature, mm-hmm. and say, let me see what the reality of this is. These, these all statements, I always say, when you think about lumping people into a group that's in the in the sentence says. All these, whatever they are, do whatever this is. It's an automatic mistake because people are not all everything. And and, and again, our brain would like that to be that easy. Right. But it's not ever that easy because people are individuals. Yeah. Yeah. Our brain tries to shift us to one end of the spectrum or the other. Right. And and the reality is we need to stay in that middle gray zone most of the time. And that is very true in veterinary medicine. It's it's not all or (laughs) it's not all one end of the spectrum or the other because they're, you know, generally the, the black and white of it is not is not negative, but when we get at the ends of the spectrum, it can be, right? And so how do we blend those together to find to find the, mm-hmm. the middle ground and to find the gray? And how do we, you know, how do we say, well, this person might be a doctor, but this person might, to your point, they might work in a lab or they might be, you know, working in a meat market. And so I, I, I love that. I, um, I think that so many of the lessons, uh, I love that you, the, the book very much has a storytelling uh, tone. Like I said, I, I, I'm reading it. I'm, I'm only um, part of the way through because I was telling you before we started, I have also been reading uh, our friend Josh Weissen's book at the same time. And I started both of them at coming back from AVMA and they're both so good. I was like, I can't put one down and finish the other first. Like I can't decide because they're great um, and they're different. So I'm reading through them both at the, at the same time. But I love, um, I love it because it feels like it's so it's so real. And that's one of the things that I admire about you and your approach to practice management, but also your approach in in educating within industry is not not to um, not to make anyone feel bad. So we're not judging, uh, you know, judging down, right? Like we're not, we're not like, oh, they're better than me. And so I'm going to build that imposter syndrome. Um, I, I also have uh, read uh, Dr. Yurch's books. I, I really enjoy her, her work and I've gotten to hear her speak as well. And I think it makes total sense, like that idea of uh, the self-assessment and, and, and the science and stuff behind it. So I love that you included some of that in, in the book and lessons, because I think that this is going back to something you said really early on when we started talking. Yes, we get training. And I, I'm, but I'm going to caveat that because I, I asked at AVMA because we were both there as, as speakers and I asked in one of my sessions, how many of them in the room were veterinarians? And there was a lot of hands. Um, and which was awesome because I was speaking in the practice manager track and I normally get to talk to managers and, and, and techs, not a lot of doctors. And so many of them put up their hands mm-hmm. and I said, how many of you got uh, communication training and client service training in veterinary medicine and there was or in vet school and there was far fewer hands than went up than I was expecting because most of the vet schools have put that in place now right and they're and they're doing it but the percentage compared to everything else is very small and it's only been uh recent that a lot of schools have have put that in place as part of the mandatory training that they're giving veterinarians and some of it's only two weeks that's the other thing it's not long enough to really make it stick right and so we're getting like yes veterinarians are getting some of that training but i i would say when you think about the vast majority of our teams 
how many of us get actual training in listening, in active listening, in clients, in client service. Like I might have had experience in in waiting tables or being a barista. I might have customer service experience or hospitality experience uh, going, going back to the book, like working in a hotel where I have by the nature of the job, learned some of the lessons. If I'm really lucky, I might have had the experience of working for an employer like Chick-fil-A or um, Rick Carlton, Disney, Neiman Marcus, like the high, high-end employers who are yeah. going to put the time and energy into actually providing that training for teams. But the majority of us, even when we work in customer service fields like veterinary medicine, don't actually get that that formal training. We just have the expectation as leaders. And I, I say we, because I include myself, I've done this and made this judgment. And it's something that I am now conscious of as a bias and actively trying to work against it, where I just assume that if I am hiring someone for a client service position, that they understand the rules of engagement when it comes to client service. The reality is, we have to learn that. And to your mm. point, we have to yeah. practice it over and over and over again. And so telling someone once, this yeah. is how I expect you yeah. to, to react when a client walks in the door. I want you to stand yeah. up. I want you to greet them with a smile. Like so many of us, because we're busy and our brains are moving 10 million miles a minute. I'm not saying that anyone is intentionally going, you know, thinking about it from a negative perspective. Like I'm teaching this. Why can't you retain the information? But so many of us go, oh, I've checked that box. And now we're going to move on to the the medical stuff, the stuff that's really hard, the stuff I know right. takes repetition and practice, like the client service stuff should be a one and done check the box. And yeah. that model has got to get flipped on its head in veterinary medicine for us to get successful. Absolutely. Hey everyone, I am so proud that Andy and I have released our very first certificate course that you can take online. That's right. We have released into the wild the Uncharted Leadership Essentials Certificate. We had a conversation one day and we were talking about what it would be like if there was a course online that you could take that had some of the content that we really think is foundational to being a leader in practice. What would that look like? And let me tell you, we dreamed some big dreams that day and I am so excited that part of those dreams is now coming true and coming straight through the interwebs to your computer. That's right. If you head over to unchartedvet.com forward slash certificates, that's the plural certificates, uh, you can find out all of the details about our first certificate, which is the leadership essentials. It includes things like building trust, vision and core values, whether it's for your team or for yourself as a leader, understanding communication styles using DISC, feedback, coaching, achieving team buy-in, setting priorities and getting things done. It is kind of the foundations to running a practice and becoming a leader. You don't have to have a position of power in your practice to take this course. We've set it up like an online course. It's got modules so you can do a little bit at a time. You don't have to sit down and do a whole hour long course at a time. You can do it on your own time at the clinic. You can work on it at home if you want, but regardless, I want you to check it out because I am so, so proud of this and I am so excited to see what you all think. And I know Andy is too. So head over to the website at unchartedvet.com forward slash certificates, plural, and check out all of the information that is there. We can't wait to hear your feedback. And now back to the podcast. I was recently at the Vet Partners meeting, which was right 
before AVMA and listening to the challenges of uh, the crisis that we have about a shortage of veterinarians, a shortage of technicians, and everybody was talking about utilizing your technicians better. And I, I agree with all of that. I think that's important. But I think the the missing piece of the puzzle is that we're not teaching our teams how to handle the public. And this is a public facing job. And so we're setting them up for failure and and to live in a, an environment where people are constantly beating them up verbally, uh, sometimes physically, quite honestly, in some of the environments. Um, and a lot of that comes from we set them up for failure. We did not teach them how to manage a situation before it escalated to the point where it became a meltdown. I, you know, I often think about that the recent uh, event in the animal hospital where the guy got shot. And, and I thought I would have, if I was a fly on the wall, could have I coached it so that it did happen? And I think, yes, I think somehow in those conversations between those two people, they escalated mm-hmm. rather than de-escalated because they didn't have the tools. And that's so frustrating to me because they're not hard to find. Um, when I was managing hospitals, my staff had to go through training modules and one was called Gold Star Customer Service. And the other was right. the, the employee manual because nobody ever reads the thing, right? And then common telephone questions and the answers and then preventative care protocols mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the components of and why you know those things were important. And my CSRs were all trained on those things. And then once mm-hmm. they passed mm-hmm. the modules, they mm-hmm. got a dollar an hour raise because they were now much more valuable as an employee. They were, oh, and you got to figure this was like in 2005. So a dollar then would be the equivalent of like three now. But once that happened, there was such a confidence level in all those team members that had had that training. And there was a really consistent message from the front of the hospital to the back of the hospital about what we believed, how we did things why we did the things that we did, and then everybody could educate the clients. And that was what I've always considered our job is, you know, we, we think about, yeah, we provide medical care, but primarily we should educate people about not needing us. How could they not need us? And that is certainly much better for our patients, but we don't take the time to train those things and look at it from how can we help our clients? You know, in the, in the book, there's a chapter called, um, uh, who's the hero of your story? Hint, hint, it's not you. <laughs> and so when we look at what our place and our role is, it is not to be the hero of the story. We are the wise counselor to the hero who is the client. And the patient is usually the challenge or the dilemma that we are following the path of to the happy ending because the happy ending happens for the patient, but it happens for the client when the patient's well or the resolution happens. And instead of us coming in going, we are the savior of all things, we're like, no, we're here to coach you how to be a great pet owner. We're here to coach you how to get this pet through this illness. We're here as your support. And when we start to look at ourselves as collaborators rather than authoritarian figures that dictate down, we we get much more cooperation from our clients. They certainly think we walk on water because they don't get experiences like that in the world. And our patients are the winners because the patients get it. And the same thing goes for human health. When when we feel like the team has our back, when we feel like 
they're truly listening to the challenges that we face. Uh, one of the, the simple things that we have to start thinking about what it's like to not fit the normal mold. And so points are made in this. I don't think you might have, you might not have gotten into it yet, but the simple act of filling out a patient history form if you are an adult and they want your family history. What if you're adopted and you don't know it? There's no place for you to put that or you're estranged from your family. There's no place for you to put that. And then what if your child is adopted and then you have to go through all this? So there's, there should be. Right. Give us more, give us more information. A yeah. place that yeah. says, you know, I don't know my family history. It's a simple thing. Give us some more information. And then what, why do we have to repeat it over and over again? Why do we not have a system in place that says, Hey, I had you fill this out when you were a new patient. I'm guaranteeing that you're, parents who were 86 when they died probably haven't had any new health information that we need to add. So maybe we can build onto it. Well, why don't we have and say, we have this information. You don't need to fill it out again. It's aggravating to people because we didn't pay attention to what they, the information they get. Right. It's that same, it's that same experience when we ask, you know, when we ask clients to give us a detailed history and then we ask questions not, and I'm not talking about clarifying questions, right? I'm talking about the obvious, like same, same questions. It's, it's frustrating for them and they, they get aggravated. It's that same, same experience that we have as in, in human healthcare. You know, it's, it's interesting um, because I think about, um, so like you have had some, some um, health uh, ch- challenges and experiences over the year with different medical teams and have had horrible experiences as, as well, which is why I, there was so much empathy when I was reading through, uh, you know, your, your own experience. Um, and I've also come to a place now in the last couple of years where I have a r- excellent, amazing healthcare team that, that treats me like a whole person. Um, and, and it took a long time and a lot of fighting to, to make that happen. But one of the things that I truly appreciate is um, my general practitioner um, who I live in the middle of nowhere, as those of you listening to the podcast know, because uh, Andy likes to tease me about it constantly, that I live in the land of no internet. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I have to see my general practitioner for a lot of things because my specialists are pretty far away. And so they are, you know, help help with that. My general practitioner knows that I work in healthcare. And so after I, I remember vividly having our first appointment when I was uh, going through my, my diagnosis and um, asking a lot of questions. And at the end of the appointment, he could have, we were well, well over time for the visit. He could have been frustrated. He could have been irritated that he was behind. He had other patients waiting. And instead of going, you know, okay, I've got to go and move on to, to the next patient. Uh, what he said with stuck with me and, and will always, because he said, I love that you're asking so many questions. And I love that you have clear, like, he's like, now I understand you're in the healthcare field. He's like, I would like to set up your appointments differently in the future. He's like, I would like to set you up for extended appointments because the things that you and I are talking about are a different level than I would be talking about with a patient who has no medical knowledge. Like I'm asking questions about the drugs and the pharmacology and the, because I have that knowledge. And so instead of being irritated by that, he intentionally chose to work with me as a, 
as a collaborator. And so now when I get booked in, the first thing the CSR says to me when she answers the phone or when I send in an appointment request is, oh, it looks like you're marked for extended time. And they don't make me feel bad about that. Like, I don't feel like that client who's taking more time out of the day. I feel like, oh, he has asked for this to be a thing so that we can have the conversation and it's not taking up more time. And I think about it in parallels to our clients. And there's this conversation that happens in veterinary medicine where um, so many of us, myself included, get really irritated that clients are doctor Googling. And when we step back and we take the emotion out of it, aren't we glad when we have a client who comes in who is taking the time to educate themselves? Because the conversation and, and it's, I think that we should be asking a different question, which is where are they getting the information that they're getting? And that is the, that is the battle we should be fighting in veterinary medicine. Because if we're putting out valid information that clients can access, right? And not that we, when we think about Dr. Google, we kind of lump it under this, it's all quack crap umbrella, which is bullshit. It's not true. There's so much good information out there that they can access now. Shouldn't we be glad? When a client walks in the exam room and wants to understand and wants to ask questions, and there are times when we are glad. And there are also times when, holy hell, it annoys the hell out of us because all we want to do is get out of that exam room. And so I think that's another one of those moments to remember where as a human being working with another human being, we always have a choice. We can choose to treat that client and make them feel bad for the fact that they have researched and that they have questions and they're asking things that are inconvenient to us because we're running behind or we've got it, you know, patients waiting or whatever. And we can also choose kindness and we can choose to say, you know what? I love that you have prepared for this visit. I want to be able to answer all of your questions and my next appointment is waiting. Can we schedule a follow-up consult by email or can we schedule a follow-up where we can come in an extended visit and I will happily answer all of your questions? Give them a plan because when we do that, they're not mad about it, you know, and, and they're willing to be partners in the healthcare conversation with us. Exactly. And that's it. And, you know, it is about the partnership. Well, I've always been very frustrated with any business who asks you what your occupation is and then... Never sure. looks at these papers again. Like, why did you even bother? Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. you, if you looked at this, you would see that I have been in healthcare for thirty-five right. plus right. years, and you can say some stuff to me. I actually know anatomy. I know some things, right? And so we can talk at a different level. But you know, there's other other aspects too. I mean, we also will look at people from, especially in veterinary medicine, right. coming in for, <laughs> from the human side yes. and, and yes. immediately do the eye roll and go, "Oh my god." You know, it's, the nurses are the worst, right? They're going to try to treat their pet. One of my very best clients was a nurse. She was the, she was the voted the best nurse in the state of North Carolina. We absolutely adored oh her. That's awesome. And when she moved, she kept driving yeah. to us two and a half yeah. hours for her care. So that was, you know, that's the bond we had with our clients. But this, this was an exemplary person as a nurse. She didn't try to treat her her animal and we had another one killed her dog by giving it Advil but it's a whole different story so it takes it takes all kind right <laughs> and, and let's and let's be real like again 
remember that we have the choice because to your point, we roll our eyes when we see that someone in human healthcare is coming in. But aren't we also, and I don't mean all of us, we, but think about it. How many of us know someone in veterinary medicine who treat ourselves because we know about veterinary medicine. And so we choose to self-treat or start ourselves on cephalexin or whatever it is. Let's, let's <laughs> take it. I took my own x-ray to the orthopedist, but I broke my finger. <laughs> but here's the thing. My x-ray was digital and theirs was not. My x-ray was so superior to their stuff. I went, you don't have digital x-ray? This is a right? hand specialist. Are you kidding? Like, yeah, I know. I said, look, I understand. You hate it. We hate it. But I did it anyway. So here it is. Right. <laughs> Just confess it off the top of your head. But, you know, and I think I love the example that you gave about um, saying to that client, I would love to continue this conversation because I'm so glad that you asked these things, but I've got another client waiting and I'm, I'm, you know, committed to being on time, just like it was for you. So let's set up another time. Let's set up a phone call or email each other back and forth. You know, we can do that Um, because then the clients don't feel like you're just blowing them off and you don't care, but they'd also appreciate the fact that you have a commitment to being on time because they want you to be on time for them too. I, I, I just, don't understand why we think we can't say the graceful no, right? It's it's setting the boundaries. It's setting the expectations. Um, I can remember a conversation I had with a client one day who was extremely anxious about her dog. And yes, I think she had some issues, but she called her practice 52 times before lunch. And the staff is just like, ah. So when she came in, I said, you know, let's just sit down. Let's just sit down and have a conversation. I said, Nancy, why are you calling us so much? I said, we can't even look after Casey because you're calling us all the time. Don't you want the doctor to look after him? She said, yeah. I said, then she can't be on the phone with you and look after him. She said, I know, Debbie, but I'm so anxious. I said, well, please just try to understand that we are trying to help him, but we can't if you're constantly pulling us away. So we're going to call you as soon as we know something. We, we understand your anxiety. We appreciate your anxiety, but you're killing us here, right? You're killing us. And so she's like, I know, I know it's my anxiety. So we can, we can say things to people nicely. We can let them know that, you know, our doctors have lives and that they are not going to be coming in at three o'clock in the morning just because you want them to fix a broken toenail. This, things are not going to happen. But there's a way to do everything. And I think that is the training that's missing. We put a hand in people's face and we say, no, we can't do these things. Instead of learning how to say, we're happy to help you. Here's what I have available. How's that go, how can that work for you? Now let's, let's work together to find a solution here. But we don't train people to do those things. You know, it's just the automatic, no, I don't have time. We don't do that. I I love it. I feel like the book is so full of lessons that you have learned as a leader. But my but where I want us to end uh, is is there a leadership lesson that you have uh, come to appreciate now, where you are in your career, that you wish that you had learned before you became a leader? Wow, have you got a? We don't have enough time for this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think the most important thing that I have learned is, is going back to the questioning. It's just being curious and asking people what's going on with them. And that goes for clients that, you know, that's when I was solving conflict problems, just 
asking those questions and not trying to get my point across or not trying to be judgmental or upset or irritated or angry and to learn that self-control that says, no, let's find out. Let's keep digging until we find out. Um, one of the quotes, uh, it, it's, it's in the book, but it talks about when therapists and psychiatrists are being trained, it says the problem that the patient brings to you is never really the problem. So you have to keep asking the question. And I think that looking at the problem on the surface, it may seem as this, but then once you really start to figure out and dig down and ask questions and care about people, then you're going to find out that the problem is not really the problem. You know, so why is that client, why is that person late for work, you know, three mornings of the week? Because their kid just turned two and decided to go to school naked every day. That's why. So, you know, these are the things that you find out when you start asking questions <laughs> and these real. Yes. Yes. Or like, or like your, your, like your client who called 52 times in the day. That's a lot of times when we get the, well, I have huge amounts of anxiety and I'll, I will never forget being in the exam room with a client just like that, having the similar conversation will come to find out the, the pet belonged to their son who passed away. And this is the last link that they had. And so the anxiety was coming, like, yes, they cared about the pet and they but it was more and it was a it was about the loss and the grief and the the fear over losing that link to their son and now all of a sudden the the whole team has a radically different perspective on you know Nancy calling 52 times before lunchtime right so so i think that i i i that's a that's a great answer i love i love that <laughs> love that one it was like ask 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 more questions you know and that's i i love it so much uh this has been so fun as it always is talking to you. <laughs> um, so I'm going to drop links in the show notes if you want. Like I, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say everybody should have a copy of this book in their practice. It's it's wonderful. Um, and I will give you more feedback when I f actually finish the entire thing. Uh, but I'm loving it so far. Uh, the book will book link will be in the show notes along with uh, the link to your your website. And we were talking about uh, Dr. Yurich, and I'll put the the link to her reference in there as well. But one of the things I love uh, about your website, Debbie, besides being able to contact you is that you've got a list of recommended books. And so if you're like, I'm nerding out on this, I'd like to find out more about uh, this kind of stuff. There's some great books on on your list. I was I was spying it while we were while we were talking. Uh, and so I'll put that in the show notes as well. So people can can find you and find all the things. Uh, thanks for thanks for the conversation, friend. This has been great. You're welcome. Always a pleasure to be with you. And I'm, I'm glad you're liking the book so far. I can't wait to hear your feedback. I value your opinion um, since it's so much like mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me fluff your pillows, as Andy would say, and tell you that so far it is I am I am loving it. And uh, you, when you read it, now you've heard Debbie and I have a conversation. Uh, tell me if you read it in in our in her voice, like you're having a conversation with a friend, because that is certainly how I am. Uh, I am reading it. It's wonderful. Um, this has been great. Have a fantastic rest of your week, everybody who's listening and you, Debbie, and we will see y'all next time. Bye-bye. Well, gang, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. And as always, this was so fun to dive into the mailbag and answer this question. 
And I would really love to see more things like this come through the mailbag. If there is something that you would love to have us talk about on the podcast or a question that you are hoping that we might be able to help with, feel free to reach out and send us a message. You can always find the mailbag at the website. The address is unchartedvet.com forward slash mailbag, or you can email us at podcast at unchartedvet.com. Take care, everybody, and have a great week. We'll see you again next time.